Now, when you look at the title that's on the screen on today's manifest telecast, you're going to think that that should say Shalom. However, this is a different word that I'm going to be dealing with and it's found in the book of Joel. So pay attention carefully because this is a very powerful message. I want you to watch all of it because we have some great word studies coming up. When God shaloms you. Now in the book of Joel chapter 2, 25 through 26, which is our main scripture, here's what it says. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you, and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. Now, this is from the book of Joel. Joel has three main chapters in the English translation of the Bible. Chapter one is about ruin. It's total destruction. It's destruction by insects that have eaten the crops, etc. When you come into chapter two, it is the chapter of restoration. I will restore to you the years of what the enemy has tried to take. Chapter three is a summary, which I call revival, how God revives things uh, in the end of time and in the nation of Israel. Now, having said that, let me share with you, and I want to say this up front. The Bible from beginning to end is a book that sums up not only salvation, not only deliverance, but restoration. Throughout the scripture are narratives and stories of how God restores. And the great story of the Old Testament is the restoration of Israel, bringing them from Egypt back to the promised land, bringing them out of Babylonian captivity back to the promised land. And of course, the modern restoration of Israel in 1948. So let me sum it up this way, that the Bible deals with sin, then repentance. It deals with bondage, then deliverance. It deals with failure, then restoration. So if you don't believe in restoration, you literally do not believe in anything the Bible teaches. So let me give you some examples of this. In the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, the nation of Israel had sinned against God and was taken into Babylon captivity. And Ezra and Nehemiah began to restore and rebuild the broken walls, the doors and the gates of the city of Jerusalem and restored the city of Jerusalem back to the capital of the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, also in the time of, of Israel, we mentioned this a moment ago, that Israel ended up in bondage in the nation of Egypt and God sent 10 plagues and the death of Pharaoh and his armies at the Red Sea and brought a complete turnaround to the nation of Israel and brought them back out of captivity, out of bondage, out of slavery and transitioned them from the position of slaves to sons and later in the promised land, soldiers. Now there again, let me say it again, from slavery to sonship to soldiers. And that's like the progression in the life of a believer, slaves to sin and bondage, delivered, becoming the sons and the daughters of God and learning in Ephesians chapter six, how to be good soldiers and fight the good fight of faith. A third example, of course, how God brings failure. Or I'm sorry, the enemy brings failure and God then brings restoration can be found all through the Bible. You can see that with two great examples, which are the life of David with his sin that he committed of adultery 
and murder, murdering the husband and how God forgave him through his humility and through his prayers of repentance and brought him uh, at the end of his life to a life of great victory, praising God in Psalms 150 at the end of his days. And then also the life of a man by the name of Samson. Now, let me say this, there would be people today and some of them would be religious people. I don't think they would be consider true Christians, but they would look at Samson and they would say, he brought that on himself. Let him stay tied up. He deserves it. That's God's justice against this man. And they would have, they would have made Samson blind and bound and going round and round the rest of his life, reminding him of his failure. However, when Samson recommitted his Nazarite vow back to God and his hair began to grow, which was a sign of his Nazarite vow, he said, Lord, remember me. And in the end, he took out more enemies than his entire life combined, more Philistines. And of course, what is amazing is, is he is mentioned in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 in the listing of all of those people that are called the heroes of the faith. That's right, Samson, who was restored after a vicious attack, and it was his own setup. It was his own problem. You know, you can't blame it on anybody but Samson. But nonetheless, the fact is God restored him. So having said that, I'm going to go to a scripture in the New Testament. I want you to listen to the scripture very carefully. And if you are in need of spiritual restoration, maybe physical restoration, but especially spiritual restoration, and you have had somewhere in your life some type of a spiritual or moral failure, this is a verse which was written to the church concerning individuals who would have experiences in their life where they would need restoration. Please listen to the scripture in Galatians chapter six, verse one. Brethren, if a man, and that could be man or woman, by the way, be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now that's very important. Considering yourself lest you also be tempted. So he's saying here that when you go and help restore someone, you better do it in meekness because if you don't, you need to consider yourself because you might find yourself down the road in the same situation that caused problems for that person. And that's very important to understand that. It has to be done in the spirit of meekness. Now I'm gonna do a Greek word study here on this passage and show you some fascinating things. First of all, is the word overtaken. In the Greek, this word overtaken means to be surprised, to be suddenly invaded, to be suddenly overtaken, or a swift attack. It would have the implication of something that hits you suddenly that you really didn't see coming. It's unexpected, but you were overtaken by it. Now, in this case, it would allude to being completely overtaken by a sudden temptation of some sort. Now, if we continue to look at some of the Greek writers who talk about this, Strabo said this, he said that it referred to this word found in the Greek for the word overtaken, referred to a battle between a rhinoceros and an elephant. As you know, an elephant uses its trunk to defend itself, but a rhinoceros has a huge horn on its head. And I've had the privilege of being in several uh, places in Africa where we did a safari and we were very close in a truck to a rhinoceros. You don't want to walk up on them, definitely. But what happens is that the horn of the rhinoceros charges the elephant and the elephant doesn't defend itself or can't and it rips the 
stomach of the elephant up with its trunk before the elephant can defend itself. That's the Greek word overtaken. Also, Arion uh, made this statement about the Greek word overtaken, that it could refer to a ship that is suddenly storm dashed upon rocks and broken up as a result of a sudden storm that it encounters. And so you can encounter storms in your life of various kinds that begin to break up, break you up and break you down mentally, emotionally, and even spiritually. So this is the Greek word overtaken. Now let's go a little bit further and let's look at the Greek word fault. In the Greek, the word fault here is either unintentional or willful transgression of some sort. The meaning means to fall, to encounter a fault, an offense, a sin, or a trespass. In other words, that particular Greek word overtaken in a fault can mean overtaken in an offense, overtaken in a sin, overtaken in a trespass, overtaken in some kind of a fall or a failure. In James 5, 16, James says this, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man and it's a righteous person avails much. That word fault, confess your faults one to another, is the same word here for being overtaken in a fault. It's the same word found in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. So it refers to, in general, something that causes you to be offended, hurt, something that is a sin that you commit, something that causes you to be overtaken in a sin. That's the word fault. Uh, you know, we often say, well, it's her fault or it's his fault or it's their fault. We use that in somewhat of a different manner. But that, that's what the meaning of this word means. So it can be overtaken in something that causes a stronghold. Now, let me ask you something. How many people do you know in the body of Christ that have been overtaken by something that has caused them great hurt, great shame, great guilt, or great harm? So a lot of times people, instead of dealing with this, themselves or instead of the body of Christ or the church or the board or the elders, whatever the case is, dealing with it properly. If things are not dealt with properly, when a person is overtaken in a fault, it will bring hurt and people will, uh, and many people have done this over the years. You can't even count over, really probably from the time of the early church, people that just give up on church and quit church because they don't want to go back to church because of uh, things that have happened in their life. This is important that you understand this part. You who are spiritual, restore. Now, carnality is the opposite of spirituality. Someone who is spiritual will do things the Bible way. Someone who is carnal will do things the fleshly way. Someone who is carnal or fleshly and the Bible says to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So a carnal person will go outside of the scriptures and try to do things in their way and in their manner. So it's very important to understand that any kind of restoration, whether it's on a church level or an individual level, must be done by people who are spiritually minded and people who know the scripture not by fleshly or carnal people. Now, I'll give you an example of a carnal person. A carnal person is someone who weeks, months, or years after someone has been forgiven, they go back under the blood of Jesus, by the way, which is a spiritual crime, 
but they go back under the blood of Jesus and try to expose or pull out in public or in front of others or talk about a person who has been washed in the blood and covered by the blood. God says this about sin. I forgive your trespass. I will remember it no more. So in other words, when you have truly repented and humbled yourself before God, God says, I will forgive and forget the trespass. People who always talk about it after it's been forgiven are people who are bloodletting. They're, 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 they're taking the blood of Jesus and removing the blood of Jesus and pulling up not only what's under the blood, but what God has forgotten. I want to ask you a question. Why would you want to always try to remind people what God has forgotten? This doesn't even make sense. So a carnal person will do that. But a true spiritually minded person will do their best to restore a person if the person confesses and humble themselves. And that's the real key. There has to be two sides working here. One is confession, repentance uh, before God or before the people or whoever. And the other is spiritual people working out the process of restoration. God says this, those who are involved in restoring must do it with meekness, with meekness. Now, meekness is humility. So you don't go into something belligerent. You don't go something into something arrogant. And I'm going to tell a story here that was told to me by my mentor, T.L. Lowry. But T.L. Lowry was uh, one of the executive leaders in the Church of God. And, and there were times that they would bring an erring minister. Maybe it was a financial situ discretion, a situation, moral situation. It would be different situations. But they would bring men before a board to investigate if the information was true, if it was a rumor or someone was lying on them. And so in the investigations in the old days, there would be men that would want minute details and they would just demand details and they would condemn and beat down the person. And Dr. Lowry pointed out to me, he said, you know, it's amazing that in many times, the very people that you would find out that beat down another person for failing ended up years later in the same type of failure that they were beating the other person down for. That's why the Bible says in meekness, lest you be overtaken by the same fault. I'm of the opinion, and I base it on many scriptures, that with the same judgment you judge, it will come back to you. And that's why you have to be very careful screaming out and condemning and, and talking about other people because God will allow you to face the same test and the same spirit and the same power that attacked that person so you will know what it feels like. And you better keep that in mind. I'm talking to every one of you that are listening to this word. All right. Now it says restore, which means uh, it, 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 to, to bring back. Now it can be used. This Greek word restore is used with four meanings. Uh, and I'm talking about the Greek word here, but it also means medically to put a broken bone back in place. So the idea is to reset a bone that it will heal and it will go back to its original place and have its original strength before it was broken. So that's the Greek word restore. That's what that word means. Then remember this, in, re in restoring or helping others, consider yourself, consider that the Bible says in Matthew 6, 14, that if you don't forgive your brother, God will not forgive you of your sins when you try to confess him. You have to forgive your brother first. That's in the Bible, by the way. Also remember in Matthew 18 that if you do not forgive willfully, 
and you just keep on and keep on trying to attack a person who's been forgiven, the Bible says God will turn you over to a tormenting spirit. This is what happened with King Saul. King Saul was so obsessed with David with jealousy and hatred that an evil spirit three times in Samuel, 1 Samuel, troubled him and attacked him because of the obsession. He couldn't even sleep at night, but he was so obsessed with how to get rid of David, how to remove him uh, from being the future king of Israel. And so remember this, when you see people who are obsessed with other people and they're attacking other people, and I'm talking about Christians here. Sinners are a different level, but we're talking about Christians. I want you to remember my exact quote here. They have now opened a door to a tormenting demon. And the only way that they will get free from that demon is to release and forgive the way Jesus taught in the New Testament. And if you're not doing, and I don't mean just this, I mean in all the areas of your life, if you're not doing what Jesus taught or you refuse to do what Jesus taught, you're not his. And that's what James brings out. That's what the Bible brings out. Now, here's a quote. This is a common evil at one time or another that we've all done wrong. Either we are or have been or may be as bad as he whom we condemn. I'm going to let that statement sink in. All right, let's go back to this statement now. When God shalam, shalams you, shalams you. Now, shalom is a Hebrew word that means happy, well, prosperous, or peaceful. When someone says shalom, Shabbat shalom, have a happy shalom, have a prosperous shalom, a prosperous Shabbat, I'm sorry. And uh, Messianic Jewish people and also uh, devout Jews will do that as well. Shalom is the word for restore in the book of Joel. And it actually means to amend, to finish, to make good again, and to be safe. And shalom and shalom both come out of the same root word in Hebrew. When God shaloms you, now here's my statement. Man, I love this. When God shaloms you, what he does is he amends in you what the enemy has tried to do for you for a long time. He amends. Remember this, I will restore to you the years. Not the days or weeks, but years. Years is a long time. So God says here, the years that the locust, the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm have eaten, I will take those years of all that destruction and I will suddenly, man, I feel the anointing, bring a restoration, complete restoration to you. Now, Dr. E.L. Terry is the one that shared this with me. He's gone to be with the Lord, a great mentor of mine, a great friend. He said, when you do research, which he, he, he was Dr. E.L. Terry, if you get what I'm saying. He had the education and the research on this. And he did a lot of Hebrew studies. He said, but if you look at this carefully, these are not just an insect from kind of the same family, but one of these will, can get into the root of a tree. One can get into the bark of a tree. One can get into the leaves on the leaves of a tree and eat it. And one can attack the fruit. So in other words, these are different types of insects that attack a tree. And when they all hit it at one time, there's just nothing left. It's all gone. The fruit's gone. The leaves are gone. The tree is just affected. Okay. The fruit's not there. So when you are under a shalom factor, hallelujah, then God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take what the enemy meant for evil and I'm going to turn it around for your good. And so when God shaloms you, it is God that steps in and says, you know what? We're not putting up with this. We're not going to have this. God says, I'm the judge and I am the restorer. So I will do the judging and I will do the restoring. And when God sees a person's heart and spirit, now folks, only God can see that. 
You know, you judge people by reports you hear, news stories, gossip, backbiting, slander, accusation. That's how you judge people. God doesn't do and judge it by what everybody's opinion, everybody thinks. God judges right down here, the heart. He can see into it where nobody else can. And when God sees the heart is right, he can set a shalom process in you. Praise God. I feel the anointing talking about this. The woman that had the issue of blood 12 years touched the Jesus garment and God shalomed her and gave her complete healing in one minute's time. There was a man at the gate for 38 years in the book of Acts and Peter and John passed by. And in one minute's time, a lame man walked for the first time in 38 years. God shalomed him and brought restoration to his physical body. In Mark chapter five, there was a man that had devils a long time and God shalomed this man. Jesus showed up and put the shalom factor on him, delivered him from the devils and he was in his right mind. So one word from Jesus at one moment at one time, put the shalom. I, I just want you, if there's somebody watching this with you, put, look at them right now. I love this. Look at them and yell, God's about to shalom you. Come on, some of you are watching Manifest on TV. Yell out through your house, God's about to shalom me. God's about to shalom me. Hallelujah, isn't that wonderful? And so God is a God of restoration. The Bible is a book of restoration. The blood of Jesus is a restoring blood. And years ago, I want to tell a quick story. Brother William Branham, who had great word of knowledge, a woman approached him and said, I need to talk to you. She was weeping and crying. So Brother Branham talked to her privately. The man got in the car to drive him. It was a minister. Brother Branham, I know you can read people's thoughts by the spirit. What did God show you about that woman or her past, what she did? Brother Branham looked at the man and said this, my brother, God does not even show a prophet a sin that's been covered by the blood. That's something to think about. I'll leave you with that thought. Get the brand new offer. You're going to see it right now. I'll be back in a moment. My new book titled The Visions contains specific details of visions and revelations involving future, both national and international events from visions and encounters that I have recorded in my private journal. I've waited for the right prophetic season to disclose these warnings and events. God's word states that if spiritual watchmen do not warn the people of the danger they see coming, the watchmen will be held accountable for what happens to the people. After experiencing much inner conviction in my soul, I sensed it was the right time to pen what I and others have seen. Much of this book covers warning visions explaining what is coming and how to prepare. I've divided the visions into what was, what is, and what is to come. Here are some of the subjects I will cover in the book. Learn the four different types of spiritual visions. I explain ancient oracles exposing how leaders attempted to see the future. Visions of cities burning both present and future, including New York City. My father's vision of a planned East Coast nuclear attack. Also, my recent visions concerning cremation ovens. I experienced a vision of a frightening assault on a public school that I want to share with you. I have for many years experienced tsunami visions and I've decided to release that information and include the locations that I have seen in those visions. There is a vision of a nuclear power plant that initiates a stock market crash. There's a vision of empty cities and empty streets that I believe is linked to the recent pandemic and possibly another pandemic coming. The vision of the 10 mile radius bioweapons attack on London, England. 
And also, I've seen in three different visions a strong earthquake impacting the Midwest, especially the St. Louis area. I also talk about the strange vision of three tornadoes that I believe cost Hillary Clinton her political future. I share a vision revealing future attacks on individual Christians and churches. I also talk about when political leaders and their administrations lose divine favor with God. I have a section where I talk about 2024 and beyond, and I've included what I believe to be an interesting historical parallel about a possible Trump second term, the coming revival through the lens of a camera. One of my favorite chapters that's gonna be very helpful to you is this, 10 Rules and Wisdom Principles for Surviving and Thriving at the End. The book also has important instructions for the reader to follow. When you order this new book, I'm also including my two audio CD teaching, The Battle of the Two Marks, which exposes the future mark of the beast and explains the mystery of the seal of God, both which are alluded to in the book of Revelation. Get the new book in the audio CD now for your donation of $35 or more. Ask for offer VS 141. You can order at perrystone.org or by calling toll-free 1-888-21-BREAD or mail your order to Perry Stone, P.O. Box 3595, Cleveland, Tennessee, 37320. I hope every prophetic student, intercessor, and those interested to know what is ahead will take time to order this new spiritual resource. I've written this in the fear of the Lord, but I believe it's now the time to release the messages. A remnant is now waking up and preparing. What about you? You know, that is a real powerful message that you just heard. And I'm just telling you that when you look at the New Testament and you look at the entire Bible, as I said, it is a book of deliverance, a book of freedom. It's a book of restoration, whether it's uh, God restoring Samson's power, David restore, uh, being restored back uh, to his relationship with the Lord, or if it's Israel, uh, being restored from the Babylonian captivity and even the modern restoration of Israel. So please take that. I do felt like it, I did I do feel like in my spirit that there are uh, many people that that word will minister to and I'd like for you to share it with anyone who's ever gone through some tough times and needs the encouragement from the Lord and also the encouragement from his word. We want to just make mention again about the offer. Now we we're continuing our offer of the book and the audio uh, series on the two marks because we have never offered anything as a in book form to my knowledge that more people have asked for it's in its second printing and the uh, one chapter that I have not talked about much is the ancient oracles the chapter on the ancient oracles is one of the most interesting uh, uh, chapters in my opinion when it comes to history that, that you may ever hear as far as a writing in a book related to prophetic oracles. So please get that. Also, don't remember, don't forget, <laughs> don't remember, don't forget to always uh, stay in touch with us through Perry Stone Ministries. You have to put that in there, Facebook page. Also, our YouTube channel, which is very popular, over 700,000 people have subscribed. Thankful for that. And we put up some great mini messages that are six minutes to about 15 minutes in length twice a week. And I've got some stuff that I can't wait to share with you. And we do keep up with a lot of prophetic things as well. So please keep that in mind. Now, we've got some new messages coming up. So next week, don't miss Manifest. God bless you. Make plans to attend the 2022 International Prophetic Summit, June 23rd through 26th at Omega Center International in Cleveland, Tennessee. Come hear the latest prophecy updates from Jonathan Kahn, Kurt Landry, Mark Biltz, Bill Cloud, and Perry Stone. This huge event kicks off Thursday night and continues all day Friday and Saturday 
concluding in a doubleheader with Bill and Perry on Sunday morning. There is no fee to attend, but you must register online at perrystone.org, where you will also find information on hotels in the area. Seating is limited, so sign up today. Don't miss fresh insights and exciting new prophetic revelation as each speaker proves that we are living in the end of the age and headed toward a date with destiny, including the return of the Messiah. The 2022 Prophetic Summit. Register now.